Is there lead-in music? There will be. Yeah. Not for you. We don't, uh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get to be moved. Welcome to What the Church, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. My name is Cameron Hughes, and I am the Director of Connecting Ministry here at First Pres. Uh, we welcome you back to this third episode of our What Does It Mean to Live Missionally series. Um, today we'll be talking about missional living in vocation. Uh, just a quick recap, missional living as we've defined it is um, we are sent into the culture to join in the work of God's kingdom as we share the good news of Jesus through loving relationships. So this fourfold definition of missional living, uh, if you remember David and Paige and Jack talking about that a couple of weeks ago, we would love to continue to dig into that today. So I'm joined today by Case Thorpe, our <laughs> senior associate pastor of evangelism and the creative teaching force behind the collaborative here at First Presbyterian. I'm also joined by Crosland Stewart. Crosland works in communications, literary agency, strategic planning, and foundation work with a company called Crosland and Company. Hey, Cameron. How are you doing today? Great. Great. We're glad to have you here. Crosland also works uh, part-time with us for the collaborative here at the church uh, and pairs a lot with Case's creative mind and makes things actually happen. So we're we're excited to be involved in that with her. So... And she has a new dog named Clemson. She does. Yes. A puppy. A beautiful German short hair pointer who came in to visit us in the office a couple of days ago, and um, I didn't get any work done for about 45 minutes. <laughs> just knowing he was here. He wasn't even in my office that amount of time. I just saw him once, and it distracted me for that long. But You're welcome, Dale. We, we, <laughs> we love puppies. We'll talk to the finance office. <laughs> so, vocation. We're talking about jobs. Before we get started, could we talk a little bit about maybe our first job, maybe our worst job. Case, I know there's got to be something in there. Oh, yes. So Mr. Eberhardt opened a new hardware store in my town. He went to the church, and I was desperate to work. I wanted to go so bad. And I kept asking and asking. It worked out, I, I think, that my dad went to Mr. Eberhardt and said, look, would you hire my kid? And so I went after school and helped sweep and uh, put stuff on shelves, and um, it didn't last very long, and I didn't know why. And God bless him, like Mr. Eberhardt was out of business in like six months. Oh no! And he's a fine Christian man. I know him to this day, and he's a fine Christian man. Uh, I think my dad paid him to pay me all those times because he knew he's starting up a new business is tough. So that was my first paying job. How old were you? Oh, like nine or ten in my husky jeans. Fantastic. <laughs> I, this is just, there's mental images and yep. hardware little, store. Little case working hard with his broom. Little case in his husky jeans. <laughs> makes me really happy. Crosley, can you save us? Can you, can you give us something better to think about? Than that? Well, my parents didn't believe in paying for hard work when you're nine and 10 mm. years old. Absolutely. They fed you. (laughs) So my first job was, um, it was great and it was horrible. It was horrible because it was in within my major in college. Mm. And my major was financial management. And I worked for Payne Weber one summer here in Orlando, commuted every day. Payne Weber, for those of you who don't remember it, was a Merrill Lynch type, was one of their competitors. And at the end of the summer, I knew I didn't want anything to do with finance. (laughs) Finance was not where you were being called. Finance was not my calling, yes. Fantastic. 
Yeah, I think there were a lot of random jobs, mowing lawns, babysitting, all kinds mm-hmm. of things. But the first one that I really remember um, as a paying job was selling popcorn at a minor league baseball stadium. So, which I think you had to be 12 to do it. And I think I was about 10 when I started, mm-hmm. but I was tall. So that helped. Well, I worked at my dad's Dairy Queen. Right. And I guess that was a paying job. That, that was like family. And I would stand on a milk cart. And help take money at the counter. So the real question is, milk carton, when you're preaching on Sunday, I see you move around a lot, so. Well, I do stand on my toes behind the pulpit. Excellent. Yeah. Just in case. But I think the Dairy Queen kind of led to the Husky jeans. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now. Recover from that now, one, Cameron Hughes. <laughs> now, now that we've rounded the corner on that mental image. Did you say rounded? Yes. Well, well, well rounded. Okay. So, Case, the average person spends about 100,000 hours of their life at work. That's a lot. That is a huge chunk of time. Um, can you tell me a little bit about why we talk about vocation and work when we talk about living missionally mm. and um, and how our view of that vocation matters for the gospel? Mm. Mm. Well, we're doing this because of the very reason. You, you I mean, you spend 100,000 hours in this place that is essential to feeding yourself and taking care of your family. And yet it's sad to me. So often folks don't make the connection. They don't recognize God can use me here. Uh, is God using me here? How has he called me here? And if not, well, where does that, where do I need to be? And so that's one of the reasons why we're trying to emphasize this so that people can make that connection. And I'm trying to remind people as I talk about vocation to think of it in sort of a, a four-step way, kind of like the biblical narrative plays out. Mm-hmm. So if you start in Genesis and you end in Revelation, the four big chapters that we've talked about on some Sunday mornings are creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Okay, so let's think about creation in that first application to vocation. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, it is good, it is sinless. Well, when you think about work, you look there and you realize, you know, we were created for work. Mm. That's our purpose. So that's where that's an idealized, beautiful vision of work that I hope to get people to. However, go to part two, fall. So you're telling me work was created before the fall. Work was created before the fall. And then when the fall happens, we we see the word toil used. Okay. So it gets corrupted. And I think that's most often people's experience. Hmm. Toil. It's, you know, it's hard to show up and see that colleague, to deal with your boss, Mm. to um, feel the pressures of uh, all that work brings in terms of, am I paid enough? Am I going somewhere? Um, I remember once years ago with a young men's Bible study, one of the questions in the curriculum was, um, if you won the lottery, what would you do tomorrow? And I was the only one in the circle who said, I get up and go to work. And there was such reaction from everybody around the table because it was such a out of touch with reality, silly pastor kind of response. And yet in our discussion, I really heard deeply from folks, especially one particular guy who in a moment of frustration said, you know what? I, it's everything I can to get my feet on the ground wow. and to get in that car and to go sell those blasted medical supplies. Hmm. So it's broken, and but it didn't have to be that way. So then in the third part, I would say redemption. If in the biblical narrative, you got creation, fall, redemption, restoration, how does our faith and our relationship with Christ redeem our work? Well, 
we see in scripture, God loves us so much. He starts walking with us, building covenants, gives us the gift of the law, gift of love. We get to Jesus. He dies on a cross for our salvation. Certainly there's never a lack of emphasis on the personal side, but also what does he save us for and towards? And that's where I try to then help people make the connection towards that last chapter restoration. So if Christ is going to come back and take us all home one day, what is that home going to look like? And what's work going to look like? All right. What could work look like here and now? So my friend who is dragging himself to sell medical supplies, well, I don't know if that's God's ultimate plan for his life, but how could he recognize a greater work here that God has him on a mission field every day, that medical supplies are essential to bringing about health and restoration to those who are ill and, 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 and troubled? Um, how can he begin to see the greater meaning and purpose? And, you know, it's not always possible. Maybe he needs to go. I don't know, manage a hotel. But if we don't ask those questions and lead people through those steps, then I think they're missing so much of what God's got in store for us through our work. Hmm. Yeah, we spend so much time as a church talking about uh, the, the restored kingdom of Christ, but to be able to apply that to the here and now yes, with an understanding that work is still broken in many ways and being able to redeem part of that through uh, through our vocation is really a beautiful picture. And restoring it in the here and now for all trades and vocations. It's so easy in ministry mm. and for others to look at us in ministry and go, well, if I got to work at the church all day long. <laughs> But for folks to really think deeply about, okay, what does it look like in real estate? What does it look like in banking, in hospitality? That's fantastic. And to clarify for those listening, don't be under the assumption that here at the church, we have everything figured out either. We are a broken, terrible group of people sometimes. Preach it, brother. So Crossland, this is a great opportunity yeah. to ask Speaking you. Speaking of broken, yeah. Crossland. <laughs> who, who, who gets to work with us frequently through the collaborative program? Um, you do so much outside of the walls of First Presbyterian with your full nine to five job. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you view your vacation as an opportunity to work in that restorative nature of the gospel? Sure. Just as I'm listening to Case, uh, the thought came to me, it's really a double whammy because not only is work broken, but we are broken. Mm. And so you have this double fallenness thing going on, which just complicates things. So for the guy who was dragging himself out of bed for medical sales, it may be that it's his heart that, that God is wanting to work on. Case talked earlier about our work deals with the essentials, paying the bills. But I think another essential is our own sanctification. So hold on a second. Can we define sanctification? Can we talk a little bit about that, what that is and what that looks like? Well, sanctification comes from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. So I don't know if you know your Latin liturgy. <laughs> Not real sanctus, well. sanctus, sanctus, holy, holy, holy. Well, it is making one holy or the process and the journey of becoming holy. So Christ starts it. We live our whole Christian lives seeking to become more and more like Jesus, such that when we are living with him in heaven, we are fully made holy. So when Crossland says it's a part of your sanctification, mm. you know, I know that when I hurt somebody's feelings on staff, which happens, and yet I learn it, I ask for forgiveness, and we move forward, like that whole process is sanctifying me more and more. Awesome. When I'm slowed down enough to think about my words, my actions, it's helping to make me more like Jesus. But not for the sake of merit. We're not trying to earn credit with God. It's about our relationship with God, and it's about achieving a greater union with Him. 
Right. Mm-hmm. It's that opportunity to become more and more like Christ. Yeah. I, and uh, so it's union in Christ for sure and building the kingdom. Mm. So how does selling medical sales help build the kingdom of God? Mm. Medicine is an incredible gift to culture that alleviates tremendous human suffering. But if you forget to think of it that way, it's so burdensome for those that mm. don't have the bigger vision. The other thing that came to mind is that this looks different for everyone because everybody does different kinds of jobs. And um, But one thing that, that does register with me was a situation that happened a couple of months ago. I have a, when I'm wearing my literary agency hat, I have a prospective client, never agreed to uh, take them on, um, and in the process, but read a manuscript. And I can tell she's a writer. She loves writing. She so desperately wants to write. But now I have rejected a second manuscript. I believe that there is a way to tell her no that is redemptive. And it is a really good challenge for me to think through what might that look like. Now, having said that, trust me, I didn't do it perfectly. And even in thinking about it, there are things that I could have done differently. But I have to always bear in mind that one, she is an image bearer, whether she professes faith or not. You know, number two, she clearly is a writer, has talent there, just hasn't put it all together well enough for a manuscript. And so how do I encourage her in her craft without just create deflating everything about her when I tell her that her manuscript isn't quite up to snuff? You know, I need to be honest with her in my critique. So that's just one example of where... You know, it's really easy to say, you know what, we're going to pass. Thank you very much. Keep writing. But I don't, I think that is, it shortchanges her. Hmm. And I don't want to be doing that. It, what I love about this work, and I hear this, Crossland, in your example, and with the medical sales guy, that we're focusing on the individual, their heart, but also their company environment, also their industry, right. and then the greater culture. So, We've tried to think through a variety of programs and ways of talking about it and helping folks think about God working on these different levels and ways, and each of them is important and has a place. I think both of these examples show us that it's really important in our work to be grounded in our soul Mm. because work environment changes work conditions change, layoffs happen, Mm -hmm. you end up taking a different path because you have sick parents or you get divorced or you have to move because of your husband. And so I think it's really important that we know who we are in Christ Mm -hmm. and not just from a theological standpoint. That's such an easy answer, but I like to think about it in terms of do what I'm supposed to do. Mm. God has gifted me with specific passions, Mm. with specific skills, Mm. and I need to run into them as much as I can Mm. um, and know that he is going to use that 
uh, and but also in the meantime, recognize I'm fallen, I'm broken. We've talked about that mm-hmm. as well. Two things really come to mind for me when we talk about vocation. One being it's part of this uh, this threefold set of areas that we're talking about. So my family is pretty consistent. I might add or subtract from my family occasionally uh, as people come and go, but um, I ultimately don't really get to choose my family a whole lot. When we talk about our neighborhood, yeah, we might move every once in a while, but our neighbors and the people that we consider our neighbors and our our sphere of influence around us is pretty well set. Vocation is something, especially in 2019, something that changes frequently. So this is an opportunity, Mm. like you Mm. mentioned, Crossland, to lean into my giftings and my skills. But at the same time, it's something that I need to approach from my, who am I interacting with? What is my purpose in my job currently, and how does that help build the kingdom, and where am I going with but it? But I want to challenge you, mm-hmm. and when you said vocation changes often, right. well, job changes often. Right. So how do we realize, oh, vocation is that uh, Latin word, vocare, calling to what am I called? Well, there's a big answer. There's a big idea. And I love it. Like Tammy Kaiser in our church mm-hmm. will talk about, oh, my vocation is, and she has a understanding of to help release people's gifts for the service of community, something along those lines. But yet she says, I can go back through my timeline of my life and show you different jobs I had that all fed into that larger vocation. I think that's a great point. And when we talk about living missionally in our vocation, does that mean that I'm only participating in my calling if I'm working a nine to five, if I'm full-time employed, if I'm doing everything I can within my work sphere to live that out? Or uh, what do we mean? So for those listening who may be retired, mm. our stay-at-home moms, like, what what does that vocation look like? Well, vocation is not about a paycheck. Mm. You know, I think there are, whether you volunteer or you're a stay-at-home mom mm. or you're retired, you know, assuming good health, mm-hmm. We are called to steward our time. Mm. And that's true whether we get paid for it or not. Amen. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times marketplace ministries can make stay-at-home parents feel a little puny, hmm. feel as if, well, I don't have worth if I'm not burning the midnight oil in a job that brings money in the door. And yet, if we are to be reminded that the family unit is one of the primary ways hmm. that God accomplishes his mission to the world. And so for stay-at-home parents, I am so grateful that they are investing in that unit, that environment, those little ones along the way. Uh, when possible, I know it's hard. And I mean, my wife works, so it's not always financially possible. But I know some people, it could be financially possible and they still choose it. So there's so many varieties of what people are able and choosing to do. The bigger vocational theology applies in every single one of them. Hmm. That's Fantastic. And it seems to me like when we talk about these three areas, family, vocation, and neighborhood, that we're talking about the same concept, the missional living being the root and those being three different ways to look at it. So, Taking part, co-laboring in God's mission of the world. So co-laboring, we talk a lot about uh, the collaborative around First Presbyterian. Give me a couple minute plug here for what is the collaborative, what do you do, and what are you trying to accomplish? Mm. So the collaborative is First Pres's outreach and gift to the community in highlighting these topics and leaning in to um, help renew culture. So our byline is for economic 
and cultural renewal. And that economic word is intentional. It's supposed to stir the pot and make people think, ooh, yikes, I, that my money's involved, my um, industry, my job, my business that has impact. But it's also on the greater Greek understanding of that word, the order of the house. Oikos nomos mm. is the order of the house. And so how is the church, big C, helping to bring order and flourishing and beauty to Orlando? Mm. And uh, we hope to, to do that. And so um, Collaborative has a variety of different programs that we're using to uh, reach that end. And it's been a lot of fun and very fruitful so far. And it's really sad that actually the collaborative needs to exist. Hmm. Since I'm the only one in the room that's not, (laughs) well, I am, the church is a client, but I'm not a full-time employee. In all honesty, the church in general has really done a disservice to the idea of faith and work Hmm. because they viewed businessmen and women, successful ones, really as, oh, great, the tithing check will increase. You mean the greater church, not... The greater church, of course. No, not particularly. But we're all guilty of some of this. But, I mean, it's... And so what happens is it's important because the the pendulum has swung so far and really abandon that. And so we live in, we live siloed Mm -hmm. lives that I think the collaborative is an opportunity to bring attention to, no, our faith needs to inform our work Mm -hmm. and there is purpose in our work. And it's not just about a paycheck Mm -hmm. and it's not about just paying the bills. But in fact, God cares that I wash dishes. Mm -hmm. God cares that I sweep the floor. God cares that I'm in a boardroom with 25 other people. Mm. Um, so I just think that's a really important. And so the name collaborative is based on that First Corinthians 3, 9, that we're co-laboring. Mm. And everybody, whether they're the CEO or the um, housekeeper at a hotel at Disney, I mean, has a co-laboring role. Mm. And my vision and hope is uh, we're asking those larger questions about how is the church co-laboring for a beautiful Orlando for everybody, mm. not just for those that believe in Jesus, but pursuing the common good. Mm. And that's where we really talk about the restorative nature of what the gospel is, is mm. having those opportunities to really impact society on a large scale, as well as a small scale, my day-to-day work. So that's fantastic. Can you give me a couple of opportunities we have uh, coming up in the fall for people to get involved with? If they're interested in learning more about uh this, how do I view my vacation as part of the gospel? Or uh, I, I want to know how to impact my industry. What are we working on? Cameron, there are a couple of really easy things for folks that they can do. They can go visit our website at collaborativeorlando.com, and there are a numerous resources. They can click on videos. They can read articles. Um, there they can sign up for our blog. That's a weekly article that will get dropped into their inbox automatically once they sign it up, and it will be on something related to faith and work, both at the philosophical and theological level, as well as sort of the practical nitty We kind of run the gamut there. Um, You can also sign up for our e-newsletters where we will highlight upcoming events and other opportunities that people can get involved with. Speaking of events, Wednesday, August 28th at 530 in the Reformation Chapel, we're going to have a Labor Day worship celebration. Awesome. We did this last year and we invite the whole community, a variety of other organizations help participate. And we just have an hour of worship. It's near the Labor Day weekend. Mm -hmm. So that's thematically what we're aiming for. And it's a time both to confess 
and lament over the brokenness of mm. work, but also to cast this vision for what work could and, and should be from a biblical perspective. Uh, Reverend Michael Aitchison from Christ United Fellowship is going to preach. Uh, last two things. We've got vocational guilds this fall. We're going to do some beta testing. We're Very going to fun. wait till next spring and roll these out for the larger church, but we're going to take two groups, a group of those in the construction industry and then a group in commercial real estate and finance mm. and walk them through a curriculum to help them think specifically about their industry. Awesome. So stay tuned. We're going to work on some of that and um, retool it and then and be out in the spring. And if you're interested in that email case. Yes. Yes. And then last thing is our leadership program, our leadership uh, development program is called the Gotham Fellowship. And it's a nine month graduate level type experience where we study the impact of cultural theology, as well as the necessary spiritual formation tools that are, that we need to have in our tool belt. And, um, we, it's a curriculum we license out of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, where Tim Keller was. Mm -hmm. And we, my goodness, it's about 1600 bucks, read 75 to a hundred pages of the classics, Augustine, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, new voices, Kathleen Larry Alsdorf, um, Garber, Stephen Garber, N.T. Wright. And there's only 12 spots per cohort. We have two cohorts, one on a Monday night. I teach the Wednesday morning and one can go on our collaborative website and apply for that. We'll be starting that soon. Having sat under the tutelage of one Mr. Case Thorpe through <laughs> the Gotham curriculum, I can say it was a incredibly enlightening and encouraging experience. And uh, if you want to take a deep dive into what this fourfold mm. gospel concept looks like, that's where we sit and really flesh it out together in a, a group of 12 students. And it's uh, really an encouraging and uh, challenging experience. So mm. definitely would recommend that. And I think the phrase I'm looking for is woot woot to describe it. Yeah, that's yeah, the one. That's <laughs> so uh, such a great curriculum and such a great opportunity. So I really appreciate you two coming in and talking with us today, being able to share a little bit of your insight and experience. And uh, we really do look forward to being able to share some more experiences and some stories with you over uh, following episodes about this whole concept of vocation. Uh, we want to be able to uh, describe what that looks like and really be able to give you some uh, pictures and some uh, stories to share with each other as we move forward. So tune in, keep listening. We're back next week and have uh, plenty of new content for you. So we're looking forward to that. Thanks again, Case Crossland. Thank and you. And we will talk to you soon. Go out and live truth. We'll see you next week.